15 to 21. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. As we saw in, in James 1.18, salvation is a matter of God imparting new life through his word of truth. Just as a newborn babe gives clear evidence that he is alive and well, so a new believer gives evidence of his new life in Christ. His desires change. He was once alienated from God, hostile towards God. Now he is reconciled to God and receptive to the truths of God's word and possessing a receptive heart towards God. Fruit producing. Jesus' parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8 shows that genuine faith in Christ is not just a flash in a pan. Faith in Christ endures and produces fruit. In that parable, which is probably behind James' thinking in our text, Jesus described the hard, unresponsive heart as the seed that fell by the wayside. The birds quickly ate it, and it did not take root at all. Next, he described the seed that fell on the thin, rocky soil. This represents the shallow, impulsive heart. This person receives the word with joy, but as soon as trials or persecutions hit, the person falls away. The third place where the seed fell was on the thorny ground, representing the divided, worldly heart. The thorns eventually choke out the word. The common thing among all three types of soil is that none of them bear fruit. Some look promising for a while, but none produce fruit. The fourth type of soil is the receptive heart that hears the word, holds it fast, and bears fruit with perseverance. Luke 8:15. Change does not come automatically or without effort. The changes that stem from new life in Christ are congenital, in the sense that they grow out of the new heart that God implants by his power. But these changes are not automatic or effortless. If they were, the New Testament would not contain the many exhortations to spiritual growth that are there. If you have to come to faith in Christ, it is crucial for you to cultivate a heart that is receptive to God's word of truth. We need to be receptive to the word of God. In our text, James tells us how to have a receptive heart. He mentions God's word in 118, 121, 122, 123, and 125. In 118, he says that God brings us forth by his word of truth. In 122 to 25, he emphasizes being doers of the word. In our text, in 119 to 21, James is talking about receiving the word implanted into our hearts. We should be quick to hear it, slow to speak it out with our opinions on it, and slow to anger when it confronts our sins. Verse 21 adds that we must get rid of all the filth of sin if we want to grow in our salvation. A receptive heart results from the proper relationship to God through his word. God's word is truth. And if we are rightly related to God's truth, we cannot be dishonest or hypocritical. God's people need to have hearts that are receptive to the word and a posture of soul which inclines them to hear the word and profit from it. So James is saying here, if God has given us new life through his word, we must prepare our hearts to be receptive to his word. James gives us some marks of the receptive heart in this passage. First one, the receptive heart opens the ears. 
be swift to hear. We need to be swift to hear the word of God. There is a beautiful illustration of this truth in the life of King David in 2 Samuel 23:14-17. David was hiding from the Philistines who were in possession of Bethlehem. He yearned for a drink of the cool water from the well in Bethlehem, a well he had often visited in his boyhood and his youth. He did not issue an order to his men. He simply said to himself, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. 2 Samuel 23:15. Three of his mighty men heard their king sigh for the water, and they risked their lives to secure the water and bring it to him. They were swift to hear. Are we that eager at hearing the word of God and then acting on what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do with what, with what we have heard of the word of God? Are we swift to hear? A receptive heart is swift to hear. We need to be good listeners. Be swift to hear. And so challenging the first century church, James has put his finger on a great need of the church today. For many of us today are non-listeners. All of us regularly have conversations in which we are speaking, but the vacant eyes of our hearers and their body language indicate that they do not hear. Americans' attention spans are brief. Adlai Stevenson, when he addressed the students at Princeton, said this, I understand I'm here to speak, and you are here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. We need to work at maintaining and enhancing our ability to hear God's word. Briefly, there are at least four things which can help make us to be swift to hear. Number one, we must work at truly listening to others and listening to God. Listening requires an intense interest in the other person. Do we listen this way with others? Do we read our Bible this way with intense interest? Do we pray this way with intense interest? And number two, we must limit our exposure to visual media. If we do not control our screen time, our screen time will control us. If it controls us, that will impair our ability to listen to others, God and his word. And number three, we must read God's word and read it in such a way that is more than advancing our bookmark or checking the boxes on our Bible reading chart. We must listen while we read. We must listen while we read the word of God. This may mean we need to slow down our progression through the Bible and just let that still small voice speak to us. Perhaps even pray in 1 Samuel 3.10 back to God. Speak. For thy servant heareth. Slow down. Listen as you're reading the word of God. And number four, we must prepare our mind and our heart and be ready and eager to hear the teaching and the preaching of the word. An indication of a receptive heart, James says that the first mark of a heart that is receptive to God's word is that it is quick to hear the word. Jesus told the Jews who disputed him, in John 8:47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Obviously, these Jews heard the sound of the words that Jesus spoke. They were not deaf, but they did not, and they could not, according to Jesus, understand them, because they were not born of God. They lacked the ability to hear and understand spiritual truth. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2:14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We need to have an attitude of eagerness to be swift to hear. An attitude of eagerness to be swift to hear. God's word implies an attitude of eagerness to take in the word from every angle. As a believer, you should desire to read the word of God. As a believer, you should desire to listen to biblical preaching on the word of God. As a believer, you should desire to memorize the word of God. And as a believer, you should desire to understand all of its teachings with a view to obedience. Do you desire all those things in your life? Do you desire all those things in your life? You might not have a receptive heart if you do not desire all those things in your life. And James tells us we need to have receptive hearts. The centerpiece of the Bible is Psalm 119, which goes on for 176 verses, extolling God's word and expressing the psalmist's delight in it. We see his eagerness when he says in Psalm 119, 131, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Do you have the same kind of longing for the word of God? Do you long for the word of God? Does your heart and mouth pant for the word of God? In Psalm 19.10, David said regarding God's commandments, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Do we desire the word of God like that? Is it sweet to us? Is it necessary for us? Do we pant after it? Are we eager and receptive to it? Evaluate your heart for God's word. Do you delight in it? Do you long for it? And do you pour over it? What is your attitude when you go to hear the word preached? The Welsh preacher Roland Hill, as an old man, was visiting with a longtime friend who said, It is now 65 years since I first heard you preach. I still remember your text and a part of your sermon. Hill asked, What part of the sermon do you remember? The friend answered, You said that some people, when they went to hear a sermon, were very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. Then you said, Supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting a legacy from him. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will, but you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you and if so, how much? And that is the way we need to hear the gospel. A receptive heart eagerly opens the ears of God's word of truth. A receptive heart eagerly opens its ears to God's truth. Do you have a receptive heart? Are you swift to hear? The receptive heart also controls the tongue, slow to speak. James, following the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, says, Slow down, hold your tongue. As Proverbs 17:28 says, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Someone long ago pointed out that we have two ears that we cannot close and one mouth that we can close, which ought to teach us something. Another person once observed, I never learned anything while I was talking. James is not forbidding us from interacting with God's word and asking pertinent questions to gain understanding. Rather, he is confronting the person who is never silent before the Lord. When God's word confronts his ways, 
He is quick to argue with the Lord or find excuses of why this doesn't apply to him. But in the words that Eli taught the young Samuel, we must all learn to say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You won't hear from God if you're doing all the talking. A receptive heart controls the tongue. A receptive heart controls emotions. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. How do you respond when you feel like the Bible steps on your toes? Maybe you're reading it or hearing it preached. It says something that you don't like because it confronts the way you think or live. Do you get angry and defensive? What right does that preacher have to say that to me? How dare he tell me how to live? Well, Kent Hughes says this, An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. Let me say that again. An angry spirit is never a listening and teachable spirit. A teachable heart has stopped fighting angrily against God. Rather, a teachable heart submits to God. A teachable heart submits to his word. A teachable heart submits to the teachings of his word. A teachable heart submits to the principles of his word. A teaching heart submits to the precepts of God's word. A teachable heart submits to God. Whether we are slow burners or whether we are powder kegs, man's anger will keep us from knowing the righteous life that God desires for us. Indeed, one of the chief reasons for failures in maintaining Christian fellowship is anger. Of course there is a right to use anger. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.26, Be ye angry and sin not. Jesus was angry when the temple was used as a marketplace. Nevertheless, we need to acknowledge that most of our anger is not righteous. It is unrighteous and needs to be repented of. James 1.20 gives a reason that we should be slow to anger. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you want to grow in righteousness, stop fighting God's word and submit to it. The sin of anger can destroy families. Before I leave James 1, 19 and 20, I want to apply it also to our personal relationships. I have seen the sin of anger rip apart Christian families and churches. Unbridled anger is a devastating sin that always creates distance in relationships. It destroys your children. It never accomplishes anything good. Anger can be the root of other sins. Jesus labeled anger as the root of sin, the root sin behind murder in Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 22. Before Cain committed the first murder in history, God confronted him with the question in Genesis 4, verse 6. Why art thou wroth? And why is thou countenance falling? Why are you angry? It's not a bad question to ask yourself when you're angry. Why am I angry? Paul warned that unchecked anger gives the devil a foothold in your life in Ephesians 4, 26-27. And yet it is tolerated in many homes and in many churches. I have known Christian husbands and fathers who abuse their families with angry words and behavior. I have also known of pastors who bully others with anger in an attempt to control the church. We get a warning against anger. We need to listen to what James says. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Paul clearly labels idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies as deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5.20. And Paul warns in 5.21 that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a radical warning. Take it to heart. Face the problem. Face the problem. If you can't make it through a week without taking a drink, 
You need to face reality. You're an alcoholic. You have an addiction. If you can't make it through a week without yelling, name-calling, throwing things, threats, or giving your mate the silent treatment, you have a problem. You're an angry person. You need to face the problem and take drastic steps to root it out of your life. Begin by confronting anger on the thought level. If you're thinking angry thoughts against your mate or children or parents or you fill in the blank, you're already sinning against God and sinning against them. Cut it off at the thought level by judging your sin and judging yourself and putting on a heart of compassion, forgiveness, and love. Colossians 3, 12-14 Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. So James says that as those who have been given new life from God, we must prepare our hearts to be receptive to the word of God. The receptive heart opens the ears. The receptive heart controls the tongue. And the receptive heart controls the emotion of anger. The receptive heart also clears the filth. Lay apart all filthiness. Wherefore, links verse 21 as the conclusion to verses 19 and 20. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. This expands from the sins of verse 19 to include all sorts of disobedience to God's word. Superfluity of naughtiness means the remainder of wickedness. Matthew Henry said this about the phrase superfluity of naughtiness. There is an abundance of that which is evil in us. We are taught to watch against and lay aside not only those more gross and fleshly dispositions and affections which denominate a person filthy, but also the disorders of a corrupt heart, which would prejudice it against the words and ways of God. James' thought here is, is the same as Paul's. When he tells us to put off the old man, or put off the old self, and put on the new man, Ephesians 4, 22-24, we all bring bag baggage from our old way of life over into the Christian life. Usually we're blind to much of it. We don't realize that we're displeasing God by our thoughts, our words, or our actions. But as we begin to read the Word of God, as we begin to have that receptive heart to the Word of God, it convicts us of areas that we did not even know were sin. When this happens, the receptive heart cleans out the filthiness of sin and puts on the clean clothes of a new life in Christ. If you don't do this, the filthiness will prevent you from growing as a Christian. The receptive heart also welcomes the word. The receptive heart welcomes the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The picture here is that of a parable of a sower, scattering the seed of the word. Will your heart be good soil that receives the seed and bears fruit, or will it be one of the other kinds of soil that is unproductive? Once the seed falls into the good soil, it still needs to be nurtured in order to bear fruit. The seed must be watered and weeds must be pulled. It must be protected from the birds and from being trampled upon. We need to humbly accept the word of God implanted in us. This is an agricultural metaphor James uses in this verse, but the idea goes back to the Old Testament teaching in which God would one day put his law in the hearts and minds of his people. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. I will put my law in the inward parts and write it 
in their hearts. The word planted within the heart is that promise fulfilled. Receive with meekness. Receive with meekness. The word translated meekness could also mean gentleness or humility. The Greek word has the idea of strength in gentleness and humility. Strength in submission or strength under control. It was used to describe Alexander the Great's horse, which was powerfully strong, but totally submissive and responsive to the master's touch. The believer with this quality can be very strong, as Jesus and Paul were, and yet completely submissive and sensitive to the Lord's command. When you receive the word with meekness, you accept it. You do not argue with it, and you honor it as the word of God. You do not try to twist it. You do not try to make it conform to your thinking. You honor it as the word of God. You receive it with meekness. You accept it. You honor it as the word of God. The engrafted word. The word engrafted also means implanted. The word of God is to be received meekly and humbly and is to be implanted into our hearts and into our minds. If the word of God is so deeply a part of us as to be implanted within us, it will be a great deterrent to sin in our life. Let me read that again. If the word of God is so deeply a part of us as to be implanted within us, it will be a great deterrent to sin in our life. How deeply is the word of God in you? How deeply is it implanted in your mind? How deeply is it implanted in your heart? The deeper it's implanted in your mind and the deeper it's implanted in your heart, the more deterrent it will be to sin in your life. As the old saying goes, sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. Having the word of God deeply rooted in our hearts and having the word of God deeply rooted in our minds is the greatest preventative against the sins of the flesh. And the receptive heart is a saved heart. The receptive heart is a saved heart, which is able to save your souls. Is able to save your soul. Save is a radical word that means to be rescued or delivered. The opposite is to be lost. Picture a man in danger of his life who fights against those who come to rescue him. That's the wrong way to get rescued. The right way is to follow their orders, assuming they know what they are doing and that they are out for your best interests. God's aim through his word is your best interest. God's aim through, through his word is the salvation of your soul. But you need to accept his help. You need to accept this free gift of God into your heart through the hearing of God's word, and thereby receive Christ as your deliverer and your Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 13. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. James is speaking to those who have been saved. This is made apparent to us in verse 19 with the phrase, My beloved brethren. He is telling these saved brethren that they have received the implanted word. It has been implanted into their hearts. James is saying the word has already brought salvation to you, and that was a very good gift from the Savior. But now that you are saved, you have a life to live for that very same Savior. A life to live out as a living sacrifice for that very same Savior. A life to live out in gratitude for the gift of your salvation and all the other good gifts the Lord has given us in our life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, 
for out of it are the issues of life. Have you done a heart check lately? If your heart is apathetic to God's word, James says, be swift to hear. Be swift to hear. If you're prone to spout off arrogantly with how much you know, James says, be slow to speak. If you're fighting some aspect of the word that you don't like, James says, be slow to wrath. If you're tolerating the filth of sin, James says, lay apart all filthiness. If you're resisting God's commands that are designed to rescue you from sin, James says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Regular, systematic, and prayerful study of God's word may just be the solution to some of the struggles we face. The simple things are often the hardest things for us to accept. In our pride, they appear to be an insult to our intelligence. Yet James says we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word, because there are no trials in life which come our way for which the word of God is not adequate and sufficient, which is why we need to have receptive hearts to it. A receptive heart opens its ears to hear. A receptive heart hears and receives the word of God with all eagerness. A receptive heart controls the tongue. It does not speak foolishly. A receptive heart controls the emotions. It is slow to anger. A receptive heart works at removing all known sins. A receptive heart welcomes the word of God. A receptive heart welcomes the word of God in its life with all meekness and humility while being filled with strength from that very same word. A receptive heart is one that has been saved and been born again in the eternal life. Do we have hearts that are receptive to the word of God? When we hear the word of God at church, when we read the word of God at home, are we alive to it? James' words are for the church age. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. If we have accepted the word implanted in us, if we have received Christ as our Savior, there is only one thing to do. Be swift to hear. We need to listen to his word. We need to read his word. We need to be still and listen. We need to worship him. We need to listen with a receptive heart to God. We need to listen with a receptive heart to the word of God as we are reading it. Are you listening with a receptive heart to God? Do you have a receptive heart? to God and his word. If not, make that decision right now that you are going to have that receptive heart. Repent of that stubborn heart. Repent of that heart that doesn't want to listen. Repent of the heart that gets angry when it gets convicted. And have that receptive heart. If we're going to have a successful, rewarding, joy-filled life with many good gifts from God, we need to have that receptive heart. We need to listen. We need to slow down. And we need to have a receptive heart to God.